Mark, the first chapter. As a young preacher, I preached on healing all the time, and I think I kind of went to seed on it. And looking back through my memory bank since this church began, I've never spoken on healing until last Sunday as a subject. We've just practiced it as a church, and uh, we've had 13 years of seeing the Lord heal people. God confirms His Word with signs following. Amen? And that Word doesn't have to be a sermon about healing. In fact, when Jesus healed the sick, He wasn't preaching about healing. He was preaching about the kingdom of God and uh, repentance and following the will of God and forgiving your enemies and, and uh, not walking in judgmentalism and things like that. So what we're in the middle of here last Sunday we started is just a, a series on healing. I feel like it'll go four or five weeks. And last Sunday we spoke on healing from the book of Matthew. Today we're going to speak on healing from the book of Mark. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, cast a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he got a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Aren't you glad your mama didn't name you Zebedee? Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Whenever a demon can tell the truth, he'll do it just to get attention. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new teaching is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the regions of Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the house of the synagogue, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, that is Simon who later became Peter, his mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. That reminds me of a story that John Wimber tells. When he started the Vineyard Church, he preached on healing every Sunday for six months, and nobody got healed. Mem you know, the church had grown really fast. They were losing members left and right. This is crazy. God doesn't heal anymore. What's he doing preaching this? And in the middle of the week, they got a call to go to the house and pray for a lady who had the flu. So they went and prayed for her. And immediately her fever broke, and she got up and fixed them something to eat. That's what happened here. At evening, 
When the sun set, verse 32, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, notice that word, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, like a kid. You know, don't tell a kid it's a secret. Let's spread it everywhere and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. And we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wonderful stories we read in the Bible. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful stories we heard last Sunday, Lord. For almost 30 minutes, we heard people testifying of you healing them of many different things. And Lord, we thank you that you still heal the sick. And so, Lord, we ask for more understanding in this area, Lord, as we attempt to share what you've shared with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your notes are in your bulletin. If you want to fill in the blanks, they are blank today. Number one, Jesus healed sick people, according to Mark, both privately and publicly. He was not putting on a show for the sake of popularity. He would tell people, don't tell anybody. Because he knew as his fame spread, he wouldn't be able to get to different places. He wanted to proclaim the truth in as many towns and villages as he could. So he was on a mission of spreading the truth. And he was confirming that truth with, with healing people. He had compassion. We learned last Sunday that compassion is sorrow or sympathy or pity for the misfortune of another. Accompanied by a strong desire to relieve the pain and remove the cause. If a child came to you with a splinter in your hand, you could give that child sympathy. Oh, baby, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry your hand hurts you. Or you could move, in com you could move with, with a form of compassion and attempt to relieve the pain. You know, put a Band-Aid on it. And, you know, give the child a cookie. The child will feel better. You've showed the child sympathy and you've attempted to relieve some pain. But real compassion goes a distance beyond just sympathy and beyond just relieving pain to removing the cause. And if you had real sympathy in your heart, you'd get you something sharp and sterilized and dig that splinter out. In spite of the way the child may scream and cry, if you remove the cause, then the relief will become permanent for that particular injury. And so it was with Jesus. He didn't just care about humanity. He cared about humanity enough to help them with their pain and to even remove the cause of their pain to the point that if a cause of a sickness was a demon, he would cast that demon out of a person. 
If the cause of sickness was other things, he would deal with those with the truth that he proclaimed. Which brings us to our next point. Jesus confirmed spiritual truth through healing. Mark 3, 1 says, And he entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And then he said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus here through healing was teaching a truth that the Sabbath was not some legalistic thing to keep people in bondage and to give them tools with which to beat one another another up. Oh, shame, shame, shame. You walked too far yesterday. It was the Sabbath. But he said, hey, Sabbath was a day to bring relief, a day to bring rest. And another place he said, if an ox was in the ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you care enough for the ox to pull that person out? How about this sick person? So he just, you know, he he blew away their, their Sabbath theology by showing that the theology was for man, to help man. It was for man's benefit, the Sabbath was, and he confirmed that truth by healing this person. He confirmed the truth that he was the one who could forgive sins by healing people. On, a, on another day, when they tore the roof off a house where he was teaching, they lowered a man down into the house. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And people in the house thought, oh, how dare you forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Well, they didn't know who he was. And to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins, he said this to them. Which is easier? Say, your sins are forgiven you, or take up your bed and walk. But to show you that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And the man arose and took up his bed and walked. Confirmed the truth that Jesus did have authority. He was God to forgive sins. Number three. Jesus' influence grew because of his healing ministry. Duh, of course it did. To the point where he sometimes he would have to go out into deserted places. In, why was he in the wilderness teaching people? That's not where people lived. He went to the people, but as his fame spread, he had to simply because of logistics. One very interesting thing, if you ever get a chance to go to the Holy Land, you've got to go to the Galilean region. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake, the elevation of the Sea of Galilee has the lowest elevation of any other freshwater lake in the world. And of course, out of that lake flows the Jordan River, which flows down to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the face of the earth elevation-wise. Nothing lives there, but Galilee is full of life. And there's a unique thing nature-wise in the wilderness surrounding Galilee are these acoustical meadows where I could stand here and without my microphone talk like this and a hundred yards away you could hear me. I saw it. It is mind-boggling. You can see it today. It wasn't a miracle so much as it was just a natural phenomenon. So as his fame spread out, I, you know, I imagine when God made the world, he put his thumb right there and says, I'm going to preach there. <laughs> and created a natural phenomenon that no other place in the world can you go and speak in a normal voice before there was electricity. Well, there was always electricity, but, you know, before mankind learned how to harness it, before there was 
PA systems. Christ could come at a primitive time to that place. And as His fame spread, His influence grew, He went to those meadows and preached. And thousands could hear Him preach and hear the truth. In our own lives, Christ's influence grows through healing in our own lives. Aaron Gomez shared last Sunday, he got saved a few years ago. The same day he got saved, he was healed of allergies and to this day does not suffer with allergies. Can you lay hands on me, brother? The Lord confirmed his reality in Aaron's life. He went on to lead his family to the Lord. Can his family wave their hands? Yeah. yeah. So his influence grows through healing. Number four, Jesus appointed twelve to preach, to heal, and to cast out demons. Look at Mark 3.14. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Mark 6.7, talking about the same twelve. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. So they went out, verse 12, they went out and preached that people should repent. Verse 13, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This anointing with oil is something that goes back to Old Testament times. When priests were ordained, they anointed that person with oil. When men were made kings, they were anointed with oil. It was a sign of submission to God. It was a sign of God's fingerprint being on that person. Uh, the anointing being being done by a representative of God. And uh, it's just a practice that God instituted centuries ago. And in ministering to the sixth, the disciples practiced it. In the book of James, we're told if anyone's sick, they're to call for the elders of the church who will anoint them with oil and pray over them so that the Lord will heal them. I have an interesting story on anointing with oil comes from Tony Campolo's book, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Who's ever heard of Tony Campolo? He tells this story of uh, speaking during a religious emphasis week at a small Midwest college years ago. At the end of the second night, a woman, obviously not a member of the student body, an older woman, came down the aisle carrying her child in her arms. The child was crippled and in braces. Puzzled, Campolo said, ma'am, what do you want? She answered, God told me to come. Campolo writes, I didn't know how to handle that. It seems to me that if God had told her to come, the least he could have done was inform me that she was coming. <laughs> Tony Campolo is a, <clears throat> is a Baptist preacher. Um, he's an Italian of, of Italian descent, but he's a member of a black Baptist denomination. And so this didn't exactly fit into the practices that he was accustomed to. He said, well, is there something you think I can do for you? She said, yes, you're supposed to heal my son. <laughs> Boy, it stretched him. Campolo said, dear lady, I don't have the gift of healing. The Bible says that there are a variety of gifts. Mine is teaching, not healing. But she didn't go back to her seat. By this time, there was giggling around the student body. Campolo realized he was quickly losing control of the situation. About that time, the college chaplain came up front. 
You could tell he was a chaplain. Turtleneck. A chain with a big cross around his neck. And he smelled of pipe tobacco. He said, you need some help, doctor? Campolo said, sure. The chaplain turned to the audience. Those who do not believe that this child is going to be healed, please leave the auditorium. Not even Jesus could perform miracles when surrounded by unbelief. Now, the president for that is healing the healing of Jairus' daughter. I think that was a story. Anyway, we'll get to that in Luke. Cambola said, I need some help. And so he had these people leave who had unbelief. Campolo thought to himself, nice move. But when he looked out at the audience, they were, they were all leaving except for five kids who were already swaying back and forth with their hands raised. So he reckoned they must have been Pentecostals. The chaplain sent one of them to the kitchen for a bottle of oil. Confused, Campolo said, oil? What kind of oil? Cooking oil, I guess. Campolo said, are you kidding? The chaplain said, look, Doc, the Bible says that if anyone needs healing, the elders of the church should get together, anoint them with oil and pray over them. And so unless you've got any better ideas, that's what we need to do. They did. Campolo said he prayed one of those perfunctory prayers, not really believing anything could happen. But right in the middle of the prayer, he stopped mid-sentence. The Pentecostal kids stopped too. They all felt it. An awesome, strange, mysterious presence had invaded the room. Campolo says it was an epiphany of the presence of God, he writes. It's an awesome thing to stand in the presence of the Almighty. I didn't know how to react. Instinctively, I removed my hand and felt terribly ashamed. Now, Campolo's a real expressive guy, so I'm really not embellishing anything with my uh, vocal intonations here. He talks like that. There was no miracle that night. At least none that anyone could discern. But three years later, at a church in St. Louis, a woman came up to Campolo and said, Do you remember me? He said, Yes, I do. You were the woman whose boy we prayed over. How is he? She said, He's right here. Remember, he was crippled up in embraces. See for yourself. And standing behind the woman was a little boy, three years older, straight as an arrow, no braces, and no crutches. Campolo dumbfounded blurted out, but how did this happen? She said, we prayed over him. Don't you remember? A few days later, back at the college where he teaches in Pennsylvania, Campolo, while having lunch with two colleagues, one was a professor of religion from the University of Pennsylvania, when Campolo told them what had happened, the religion professor said, well, Tony, I have to be honest with you. My theology doesn't allow for that kind of thing. Campolo looked at him and said, Your theology doesn't allow for that kind of thing? Give me a break. Have you ever thought that maybe God's theology does? It's a good little book. It's Friday, but Sunday's it coming. That's a whole other sermon. Number five. Jesus commissioned the eleven. Remember? There was twelve, but something happened with one of them to preach and baptize new believers. And those new believers would also minister with signs following. Mark 16, 14. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Tell your neighbor, that's us. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He did not say they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover instantaneously. But he says they will recover. I love the song by Noel Richards that tells us to keep on praying. There's a healing touch each time we pray. Keep on praying. We must be persistent in this biblical practice. Amen? We will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Not always instantaneously. I have a story similar to Tony Campolo's, not quite as radical. Uh, was called to go to a hospital. I was assistant pastor of a church in Houston. And when you pastor in Houston, my God, your flock is just everywhere. I mean, just miles and miles away. And um, I went to see a lady named Mae Doggett. She had worshipped with us for a while, and she wound up in the hospital. And uh, what had happened was her um, previous medical history involved some surgery, and she wound up back in the hospital but because of adhesions. I think the best way I understand adhesion, forgive my medical ineptitude, um, it's like scar tissue on the inside that continues to grow and gets thick, and it was shedding off her intestines. And they um, had went in and done surgery, and infection hit her body and ripped open all the stitches. I mean, this woman was in bad shape. And so I went in the hospital and prayed my little perfunctory prayer and got out of there. Man, that woman was gone. A few weeks later, I went back to see her. And to my surprise, she was no longer in intensive care. She was in recovery in her own room. And she told me this story. That the night after I prayed for her, the Lord Jesus appeared to her and said, you're going to die unless you get out of intensive care. Get your own room. And I will heal you. So, of course, she got the nurse's attention and they refused to let her have her own room. Look, man, you are in serious condition. Your bowels are open to the elements. Uh, we can't sew you back up because of the infection. It's really bad. She says, I must have my own room. Jesus told me to. And she made such a ruckus. They had her sign release forms and they gave her her own room and left her in there. Fed her, did the normal nursery chores and put dressings on her wounds. And in the weeks following that, the Lord slowly healed everything. And he got all the glory. And the day came when she was worshiping with us in church. She was fine. I don't know if my theology has room for that. Well, hers does. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, we don't live in a vacuum. When you're part of a local church, 
you don't function as a healing evangelist who can blow into town one day and blow out the next. You got to walk in the trenches with the people. And there are times we don't see everybody healed. Come on, let's be honest. Faith is all about being honest and being in agreement with the Word, is it not? There's some faith teaching that's out there. I'm not attacking individuals. I'm just dealing with messages and doctrines. That really isn't faith teaching. It's denial teaching. And so everybody they pray for is healed because everybody's in denial that wasn't healed. I don't have a code. <laughs> I don't have a code. That's not faith. That's denial. If you have a cold, uh, don't spread the germs. So I don't know all the reasons everyone isn't healed. I'm certainly not going to presume to know that, but we know some reasons. And so on page two of your notes, here's the Jeopardy statement and following questions that would be the answer to the riddle. Possible reasons someone is not being healed. Possible reasons. Number one, is healing being sought for the whole person? You know, Jesus didn't just come to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Excuse me. He came for the whole person. He came to heal relationships. He came to mend families. Look at Luke chapter 4. This is his purpose statement. Quoting Isaiah chapter 61. Why did Jesus come? So you could drive a Cadillac? No. Here's why he came. Luke 4.18. I like Cadillacs, so don't, don't, don't not enjoy yours. By all means, enjoy it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Isaiah 61 goes on to say, to give people beauty for their ashes, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the oil of joy for mourning. He came to bless humanity. So His purpose isn't to heal headaches. His purpose is to make people whole. If you've got a broken heart, chances are if that heart gets healed, your physical things will clear up. Could be. Number two, is there any obstruction to a person's being healed? You know, there can be obstructions. Look at Mark chapter 6. Verse 1 says he came to his, the place where he grew up. Verse 2, his own land. Mark 6, 2, when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, 
Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Remember when we first began this teaching time, we read from Mark chapter 1 that the crowds were astonished at his authority. They were astonished at the authority in his words and they were astonished at his authority over demons. Here he is in his homeland. They're astonished, all right, but their astonishment doesn't lead to recognition of authority. Their astonishment leads to their being offended. Who does he think he is? Verse 4, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And they marveled, he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Verse 5 again. Now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So for healing to take place in that scenario, there were some obstacles. Their own unbelief. No doubt they were hard on each other. No doubt if one of them prospered and built a nice house, the others of them would have been jealous. I mean, these were people that weren't happy for the blessing that would happen in other people's lives. And so they got ripped off as a, as a result. Pat Robertson did a book. Um, I don't send him any of my money, but he wrote a book called 200 uh, Questions and Answers. And here's what he had to say on the question, why isn't everyone healed? He said, we have no recorded instance of Jesus turning anyone away who came to him for healing. But we have to consider how Jesus did the healing. First of all, he had the gift of discerning of spirits. He knew whether a sickness was caused by a demon, a disease, unconfessed sin, or whether it could be a psychosomatic disorder. If it was a disease, he could speak to the disease. If it was a demon, he could cast out the demon. If it was sin, he could forgive the sin. He always knew exactly what was called for. If it was peace and rest, he promised it. Jesus had complete access to the Father. He had no sin, no bad past, no fear of the future to cloud his vision. When he spoke, it was with pure power. He had an absolute understanding of power, and therefore there was no sickness or disease that could stand in his way. Of course, he was God. Today, our access to power is clouded by sin, unbelief, earthly cares, all of which prevent us. Consequently, our prayers may not be as effective for healing as they should be. I should add that there are some people who enjoy being sick. This is true. They use sickness as an excuse not to face up to life. Now, notice I'm saying some people. Please don't ever feel like if you're sick and, and you're not being, you know, you haven't experienced healing yet that people are saying you enjoy it. No. But there are some people out there that do some other place. They're not here for the simple reason that they do not want to be. There are some people who harbor unconfessed sin. Some people that hold on to willful sin. You know, Jesus healed one person and the disciples asked him before the person was healed, who sinned in this situation? What sin brought this about? This guy's sin or his parents? Jesus said neither. But that God gets the glory, you know, He's going to be healed. So he's sick so that he can be healed so that God can give the glory. But in another place, he healed a guy and said, go and sin no more lest a worse thing come on you. So sin can cause sickness. It certainly spreads disease. 
They may seem holy and righteous on the surface, but deep down inside, people could be filled with resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, judgmentalism. There are others who are sick because of demonic activity. Prayer for healing will not work for them because a demon has to be addressed and cast out. In certain cases, a healing does not take place unless the individual's spirit and mind are in condition where he can be receptive to what God has to be, uh, God has to offer. The person being healed needs to come to an appreciation of all of the truth of God. In searching for answers, we must ask, what is it in this situation that is blocking or preventing the healing? Once we've discovered the problem, the healing may take place. So there could be an obstruction to a person's being healed. These are possible reasons for the sick. Number three, is a person being healed, needing healing, being open to wise counsel? Does your doctor tell you to stop drinking or stop smoking? You better. You better. Doctor tell you to exercise, drink more water? We need to. Doctor tell you to get rest? You better. Be open to wise counsel. Sometimes the Lord tells people what to do and they, they have to do that to receive. Remember Hezekiah? Make a poultice of figs and put it on your boil and you'll be healed. He did that. He was healed. I don't understand fig dressings, but certainly sounds better than my grandma's raw bacon remedy. Possible reasons someone is not healed for us as people attempting to minister healing. Are we contending for the faith? Are we pursuing the unity of the faith? This isn't about building our healing ministry. This is about furthering the kingdom of God. Could it not be? Could it be? I don't know that God would release more healing to His people if they wouldn't build empires on it and use it as gimmicks to make money. Hello. Are we continuing for the faith? Are hearts soft and eager to learn more from the Lord? Are we teachable? Are we resisting pride when God does use us? Do we realize we all need healing in our lives from all of life's wounds? Number five, are we obedient to Jesus' other commands? You know, we just can't pick the commands of Christ like... like. Uh, like we're in a cafeteria. The Sermon on the Mount was a series of commands. And the people recognized His authority. And He began to heal. Check it out. Matthew 5 and 6. Healing began to take place after they recognized His authority. Are we desiring to be obedient to the things He commands? Not just the things we like, but all of them. Number six, are we persistent in our prayers for the sick? This isn't about us looking good. Well, I'm not going to pray for the sick anymore. I look like a heel doing that when nothing happened. This isn't about us looking good. Look at Mark chapter 11. Christ had spoken to an unfruitful fig tree. And by the next day, it was dead. And Peter noticed it and made comment. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. 
For as surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into, into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Notice he does not say, I say to you, whoever says one time to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says one time? No. What he says, what are you saying? Are you speaking to the mountains in your life? Are you being persistent at it? Here we have the promise, we will have whatever we says. Does not say he will have whatever he said. He will have whatever he says. Perpetual, continual persistence. Jesus told the parable of a persistent widow who went to an unjust judge who did not fear God or man and said, please avenge me of my adversary. His hardness of heart caused him to ignore her. But she wouldn't give up. And because of her persistence, the judge that did not fear God or man, who was hard-hearted, eventually dealt with her legal need. And Jesus said, if an unjust judge will do this, how much more will your father answer the cries of those who cry out to him day and night? Now, we know God's not an unjust judge, and he does certainly regard man. He regards us. But why would Jesus tell that story if there was not a place for persistence in our life when asking him for the things that we need? It's there. So I see persistence in this promise, verse 23 of Mark 11. Verse 24, Therefore, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. I have a question for you. Does God intend for us just to pray once in our life? No. Prayer is to be a daily thing. Pray without ceasing. So whatever things you ask when you pray. So when are you supposed to ask? Whenever you pray. Don't let somebody talk you out of asking. Say, hey, you already asked. That's unbelief to ask again. That is not true. That will get you into denial. I don't have a code. Be persistent. Verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Deal with the obstacles in your life that would prevent the mountain from moving. And unforgiveness is certainly one. So are we being persistent? Have we just given up? Are right, possible reasons for not being healed. Reasons for me. When I'm sick, I have to ask myself these questions. Am I practicing a healthy lifestyle? I'm attacked with allergies from time to time. And I learn the more I exercise by walking and the more water I drink, the healthier I am. So my lifestyle is affected by that. If the stuff you're consuming has a warning label on it, hello! Don't go blame God when something goes wrong. God, why? Don't be blaming Him. Number eight, do I pursue healing in my relationships?
forgive those that need to be forgiven. 1 Corinthians 11, in talking about communion, says that some go to an early grave because they don't discern the Lord's body. The word discern means to value, means to distinguish, means to recognize. We don't value the preciousness of our brothers and sisters in Christ's body. It creates obstacles to God's blessing in our life. It just does. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let's just think for a minute. If you have two children and one's rebellious and disobedient to your will and the other one's submissive and is obedient to your will, which one most likely will get blessings passed on to them when one comes your way? You obviously will bless that child because you love that child. But you're not going to finance chaos, are you? I don't think you would. So, in God's, God's riches in heaven, they'll never deplete. He'll meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. But He's not going to empower things that are contrary to His will. Jesus said it like this, Demons don't cast out demons because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he said that his kingdom was a house built on a rock. And God's house is not divided against itself. His house is a stable house. So he will not empower us when we are wrong. So am I pursuing healing in all my relationships? Yes, only when they're worthy of being forgiven or after they've had a probationary period of showing perfection. If they come to you 70 times 7 in a day, forgive them. If you see a speck in your brother's eye, get the log out of yours and then go help them with the speck in theirs. I mean, a lot of things Christ taught dealt with relationships. Getting those things right. He came for the whole man. And he deals with us as individuals. But look at America with your hyper-individualism. He also deals with us as a people. He's my God. He's our God. The cross is vertical and horizontal. Tony Campolo now prays for the sick. And... Uh, when he first got into it, it wasn't just that experience. It was some other experiences he had. And uh, one was um, while he was standing before an auditorium of people, thousands of people turned out to hear this guy, to hear his thoughts about life. He said it was nothing planned, but at the end of the service, he was inspired to say to the crowd, I know that some of you believe in miracles and some of you don't. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not so sure about all that. Another place he said, I'm suspicious of a healing evangelist who's bald. Surely he would start with himself. Now, I could get away with this. And if you ever see Tony Campolo, this guy is bald. And he's a bit of a comedian. He said, I've been thinking and praying a lot about miracles lately. He's telling this crowd this. So I'll tell you what we're going to pray. I want you to come down front and we'll pray for you. That's right. If you need a miracle, come right on down on front. I'm going to pray for each of you to receive a miracle from God. I'm not making any promises. In fact, I don't know if anything at all will happen. Who knows? You come down and we'll pray. He 
shrugged his shoulders and waited. By the droves they came forward. He said he was not only astounded by the number, but by the fact that nearly every request involved a significant human relationship problem, even those that were medical issues. You have an ex-wife from hell? Ex-mother-in-law that is God's firewood for hell. Better forgive them and let God deal with that. Do you want to be whole? Yes! You want to be free? Yes! Healing for everything. Number nine. Possible reason I'm not being healed could be I embrace a wrong theology about healing. Now just hold on to your horses here. I see this wrong theology as possibly heading two different directions, two opposite extremes. One theology being God no longer heals. Any healing you see, that's the work of the devil, distracting people from Jesus. In fact, God uses sickness to teach His children. It's like a child saying, Hey, Billy Bob, want me to bless you? Come here and I'll give you a black eye. I mean, God teaches us at all times. And sometimes when we're sick, it's when we're the most teachable. But God isn't making us sick, so we'll be teachable. I'm more teachable than ever, and that many times can be true. But if God is the one making me sick, then going to the doctor is an act of rebellion. Do I embrace the wrong theology? Another extreme, God heals a sick. To go to the doctor shows a lack of faith. So your child gets a fever of 108, you better not take that child to the hospital, otherwise God won't heal that child because that's a lack of faith. That's a bunch of bunk. You're going to have a dead kid on your hands blaming God for it. Luke was a physician. Wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and Jesus Christ never told him what he was doing was no good. Never accused him of being a distraction to the real Jesus. No, Luke, Luke learned things about healing from Jesus. Wrong theology about healing could be that denial thing we talked about. Supposedly it has the appearance of faith. I'm not moved by what I see. That's true. I'll have what I say. Keep on saying it. Keep on proclaiming the truth of God's Word. I don't have a cold. You've gone too far. When someone else is sick, do you condemn them? We used to have a, a former member of this church when people were sick, man, he just condemned them. Said, oh brother, I claim the blood of Jesus. What's the matter with you? Just condemn them up something fierce till he got sick. And now he's king of the whiners club. <laughs> One extreme to the other. And he doesn't want to get healed till his disability checks start coming in. Never, ever condemn the sick. 
These reasons are just to provide understanding. It's not a recipe in which to judge people from. Shame, shame, shame. Looking for people to blame. We don't know all the answers. Well, didn't God cause Job to be sick? No, the devil made him sick. But God healed him. Read the end of the book. Well, wasn't it Job's fault that he got sick? See, that's the other extreme. I've heard that theory, and you have to do some stretching and adding to the word to say that. God was bragging on Job. If Job had disorder in his life and he's the reason the devil attacked him, then God's a nitwit for bragging on him. So you create a whole another weird deal. Job had some bad stuff happen to him. God allowed it, but God restored him. Amen. So this subject I know generates all kinds of questions. And for the sake of time, if you don't mind doing this for me, writing those questions down, and you don't have to put your name on it and giving it to one of the elders or somebody to get them to me. And next Sunday, I will do my best to answer every question. Some I may, may, may say, I don't know. But I want to end with the fourth section. If I had room on the notes, this sermon would have had 14 uh, reasons, possible reasons someone is not being healed. And this section would be, see, we've done possible reasons for the sick, possible reasons for us as Christ's ministers, possible reasons for me when I'm sick. Here is a list of possible reasons for the dead. They're dead. They're gone. Why weren't they healed? Here's some other possible reasons. And I imagine some of the notes I'll get, questions I'll get, will bring up some of these issues and we, we will just reiterate them. First possible reason, a dead person was not healed, or a person was not healed and now they're, he they're dead because they weren't healed, is number one, we're in a war. Whoever heard of a war where there was never the possibility of casualties? We're in a war. In America, with our love of comfort and our life of ease and our one of instantaneous results, our country's causing, for the most part, causing our president problems because we think Iraq should already be over. Man, that situation over there has gotten more difficult because now other countries are getting involved, not just Iraq. And people are causing the president problems because there's casualties. Hello, it's a war. Were you awake during history class? When well, our spiritual war, there are casualties. And looking for someone to blame when it's when somebody's dead, that doesn't help anybody. It might puff you up with pride and, and be an obstacle in your own healing. Number two, possible reason a dead person was not healed when they were alive is perfection has not yet come. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 with me, please. Boy, I don't hear this on TV very much. This isn't in my books of healing books. It's still in the book. 
I don't know if I'm going to get this tape. Well, that's fine. It's still in the book. Please listen to it. It's the truth. Perfection has not yet come. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. There's a risk in prophesying. The word you have from God may not be from God. The thing you predicted that you knew God, you thought you knew God said didn't come to pass. So there's a possibility of failure with prophecy. They will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, some have used this in verse, verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, there is a theology out there that says the Bible is perfect, therefore perfection has come. Okay? Therefore, there's no longer a need for prophecy or for, he, or for tongues or for any of these spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts, because now we have the Bible. Really... Look at the verses again. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, uh-oh, it will vanish away. So if that's true, then we're all a bunch of nitwits. What are we doing talking about the Bible? Because the Bible has come, therefore knowledge is gone. And you can't have it both ways with that theology. If knowledge is gone, then... We've just got the Bible, and what are we even doing here? The gift of teaching is no more. We know that's not true. What it's saying is we don't know everything. They're not going to speak in tongues in heaven. And prophecy has its problems, but we're not to despise it according to another verse, and we are to judge it according to another verse, both, both of which are in the New Testament. But, that which is, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. Now, who ever heard of a textbook that did away with its own subject? The very next chapter, he's talking about spiritual gifts. The chapter before, he's talking about spiritual gifts. But the bottom line to all spiritual gifts is love must be our emphasis. When you minister to somebody, if love isn't reaching its destination, you fail. So, perfection hadn't come yet. Prophecy is imperfect. Tongues is, is imperfect. It's not eternal. We're not always going to be speaking in tongues. In heaven, we'll understand everything. But love never fails. So the only perfect thing we have in the church is Christian love. So if someone's not healed, it's just a sign we're not in heaven yet. Which brings, my, brings me to my next point. We are not in heaven yet. Look with me to Revelation chapter 21. 21 verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, 
and be their God. Would everybody not agree this is talking about the future? It's talking about heaven. This is at the end of the book of Revelation. All right, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I look at chapter 22. And he showed me, verse 1, a pure water, pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. That's not talking about medicine. That's talking about heaven. So in heaven, there's no more sickness. In heaven, there's no more sorrow. In heaven, there's no more pain. In heaven, there's no more tears. In heaven, there's no more disease. In heaven, there's no more crippling injuries. Earth is not heaven. Jesus proclaimed the entrance of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom is here. The, yet the kingdom is coming. But we're not in heaven yet. So earth has its difficulties. The environments we live in, what we're doing to the ozone layer, I'm sure will have impact on people's health. The Bible acknowledges that death is still a reality. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26 says that Christ must rule until all enemies have been put under His feet. And the last enemy that will be put under His feet is death. So until then, death is reigning. But the good news is because He tasted death for us and became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, we no longer have to live in fear of death. Death is no longer a thing for us to fear. At funerals, we grieve for us but not for the brother or sister that's gone on before. We rejoice for them, right? They've escaped the bands of time. They're in the presence of Jesus. They've received, as the song says, the ultimate healing. They're home free. <laughs> Sounds like you Christians have it both ways. Yes, we do. Make us sick, God will heal us. Kill us to live as Christ. To die is gain. Even better. So we're in a war. And war means the possibility of casualties. Perfection has not yet come. Death is still a reality. We're not in heaven yet. And lastly, Hebrews chapter 2. And I'll quit. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 5, talking about God, He has not put the world to come, talking about the new world, heaven, of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, 
And he quotes the Old Testament. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. That verse is talking about man. Us. But what do we see? I mean, ultimately, death is going to be under our feet, but we don't see it under our feet yet. We don't see sickness under our feet. That's why we need healing. The doctrine of divine health is an error. It said if you walk in perfect obedience, you'll just never get sick and you'll never die. There's a couple in Granbury. They're in their 90s. They believe that teaching. But eventually, they're going to die. They look pretty close to it. It's an error. The scriptural basis they use for that is the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, there was not a feeble person among them. But guess what? They died in the wilderness. This is one promise for sure you don't have to claim, but if the Lord tarries, you're going to die. Your body has to be replaced. Our spirits are reborn. Our minds are being renewed. But this body needs to be replaced. So we don't see everything put under us. But we see Jesus. Verse 9. Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. Verse 14. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same, that through death He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, He does not give aid to angels, but He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And the book of Hebrews goes on to say in another chapter that we have a priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. To me, that promise seals a whole deal on this question as to why some aren't healed. I believe this. I'm praying for the sick. If somebody is not healed, they can hold on to that promise of going to the throne of grace to find the help they need. So that even if they're not healed, they're able to live in victory anyway because the grace of God is upon them. And all who would disagree with that would ha have to deal with Johnny, Eric, and Tata. Talk about a testimony of the grace of God enabling you to do the impossible. God is awesome. And her fame is spread throughout the earth. More people know about her than know about this church, know about all of us combined. God's grace is on her. Don't let any big belly preacher tell you that he has a right to condemn her. No, 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 no. So what is healing? It's a blessing. It's a tool of evangelism. 
And with the questions it generates when all people are not healed, we don't have all the answers, but we have some of them. And I end with this personal story. My wife's father died in 1989. And Yvette went to the funeral and came home two weeks later with her mother. Unknown to us, her mother had become stricken with Alzheimer's. The father was a uh, extrovert type person, and so when we talked on the phone, he dominated every conversation, just the way it was. It always was that way. And so she was able to make small talk. And when a person, when a person first gets, when a person first gets, Alzheimer's, they're able to make small talk and you, you know, just unless you get into something deep, you don't know anything's wrong because they hide it. So, oh great, mom's home with us for a few days. Awesome. Good to see you. It had been years since we'd seen her. And Yvette says, no, it, it is good, but there's something wrong. And um, the longer she stayed with us, you know, a few days turn into a week, a few weeks turn into a month, a few months turn into a a year. Well, after about six months, I'd had about all I could take of having somebody in our home saying the same thing over and over. It was wearing on us, and I became a very mean husband. And uh, we had taken her to Reinhardt Bonnke meeting. We had watched Christian TV with her. In fact, we didn't have a TV in our home till she came along because it just life was so boring having to sit at home. <clears throat> uh, we anointed her with oil. We repented of all of our sins and uh, served communion, washed her feet, prayed the prayer of faith, rebuked demons, everything we knew to do and our friends knew to do. She only got worse. And one day I had it out with God. I was in Lawton, Oklahoma. Went there to attend some meetings just to get away. And I was able to approach God with my concern. I said, God, this is an inconvenience. We're young. We're in our early 30s. I was just like 32 dealing with this. This isn't right, and I know you're the healer. I've seen you heal people my whole life. What's the deal? I'm angry at you. I mean, I just told him just how I felt. And when I finally emptied out all of my disappointment, he spoke to me with a question. Two questions. First question was, do you want me to use you? Oh, yes, I want you to use me. I'm thinking tents and 18-wheelers and TV cameras. Yes, use me, Lord. Here comes the empire. What is it? I'm ready for my assignment. The assignment came in the form of another question. Can I trust you to show this sick lady my unconditional love? I broke. Wept for a long time. Came home a changed man. Life became much easier for a vet. And God gave us grace to live for the next two years, not knowing it was just going to be two years. It looked like it was going to be the rest of our life with grace. 
and then she went to live with another daughter who was married to a doctor and they cared for her till she passed on. The bottom line to it all, saint, is love. If you pray for someone who's sick, let them know you love them and God loves them. If they don't get healed, don't rebuke them. Blame them. And don't beat yourself up. It's all about grace. His grace is enough. Amen? Can we stand? <clears throat> Just want to end with the commission and encourage those who are hungry to stay and eat with us. It's only six dollars. Just, I just, I just want to commission you with this ministry of healing thing that Jesus said those who believe the gospel would baptize, would be saved, and those believers would have signs following them, part of which would be laying hands on the sick and they will recover. We just raise our hands to heaven. Lord God, here we are. We want to receive a fresh commissioning from You, Lord, to pray for the sick. Lord, those of us who've been held up by questions, I pray, Lord, that You would bring some answers, Lord, that would resolve all questions in this situation. Lord, make us effective as Your ministers of communicating Your love to a lost and dying world. Lord, we thank You for the promise. But Lord, we recognize we're in a war and we have a job to do. So Lord, we ask You to use us. And Lord, help us to use the weapon of healing. Lord, it's a tool of blessing for hurting humanity, but it's a weapon against the powers of darkness. Lord Jesus, help us to bring light everywhere we go. Use these hands, Lord. In Jesus' name. Just say with me, Father, here's my hands. Here's my heart. Here's my voice. Use me, Lord, to show Your love and bring healing to make humanity whole. In Jesus' name. Lay your hands on your chest. Lord Jesus, make us whole. Make us whole. Give us Your assignments. May we be faithful to show Your unconditional love to our families, to one another, to our enemies, and to our neighbors. In Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.